I'm very excited this morning to introduce my friend Sam Williamson, who's going to be preaching today. We talked it through and decided that whoever was tallest should probably deliver the message today. So I was dethroned, which is rare for me, by Sam. Uh, Sam is one of our middle school students. He's known to a lot of you. Some of you I know have told me that you had him in nursery or River Tots, and here he is all grown up. And I met him in January and have just been so impressed by his genuine care for his family, for the youth around him at youth group, and for our church family here at River Cross. And I'm excited to hear from him this morning. And if you would just join me in a moment of prayer, I'm going to pray for Sam, and then we'll take a listen. Father, we just pray right now that you would turn our hearts toward you. Give us ears to hear the message that you've given Sam to preach. And as he speaks, just give him a sense of calm and assurance that he's, the message isn't coming from him, but it's coming from you. And we just thank you for this time we have this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Sam. Welcome. How are you, all of you today? As Sandy just said, my name is Sam, and I will be bringing you the sermon today. This week, we will be taking a one-week break off the sermon series, What If This Netflix Series Was a Sermon Series? And we will be talking about Shalom. Now, Shalom is not a word you hear very often. As you can probably tell, it is not English. It is a word that is often used and translated to peace. But it holds a definition much stronger than peace. It means peace and wholeness with God and completeness here. I'll give you an interesting way to think of it. So, this jar is in its shalom firm. It is complete, whole, without cracks. But when we don't care how we treat it and we just don't care, things like this happen. It's not just objects that break that need to be restored to wholeness. It's us and the whole world around us. When God created the world and everything in it, he made it good. He made it us to be in the right relationship with him and with, and with each other and with creation. But we know our world is broken because of sin. Now, I have some good news, and I have some sort of scary news. The good news is that God has no intention of leaving things the way they are. Already, he is working in the world around us to restore wholeness. Already, we can be certain that he will accomplish this work because of his, the death and resurrection of Jesus who made our broken relationship with God whole. The work that he has started, he will finish. The scary news is that God calls us, all of us, to participate in, the, in this work of restoring shalom. Restoring wholeness to the brokenness of this world around us. Let's look at a story of Gideon today to see what I mean. You can read about Gideon in the book of Judges. Chapters 6 to 8. We won't be reading it all right now, but I encourage you to do so later. 
The book of Judges tells the story of the people of God who had experienced the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. They had been brought out of slavery from Egypt. They had been given a new land, and they had become a nation. But even though God held up his end, um, what he, of what he would do, they weren't living up to theirs. Rather than living in a right relationship with God, they were living lives like the, one, like the people around them. Rather than following God, they followed the gods of their neighbors. Rather than caring for each other in difficult times, they oppressed each other. The people of God were not at a state of shalom. They were not the ways that God's people are supposed to be. And as a result, they were also not experiencing shalom in their relationships with the other nations. And, around, and this is where the story picks up. With Gideon, they were being oppressed by a group called the Midianites for seven long years. It was bad enough that the Israelites had to prepare shelters and hide out in caves in the mountains. They couldn't even grow their own food, because whenever they did, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the other people of the east uh, would come and ruin or steal crops, not leaving anything behind. Things are not the way they are supposed to be. And finally, Israel remembers. They remember the God who freed them from Egypt, who went before them into the land of Canaan, Canaan, and made them a nation, and they called out to the God who keeps his promises for help. Here's where Gideon enters the story. The story of Gideon, like all the other Israelites, lives in absolute terror of the Midianites. When God calls him, Gideon isn't out protecting his people or raising up armies. He's hiding in the bottom of a, of a wine press, which at this time was a deep hole in the ground, threshing some wheat so that the Midianites couldn't see him and take it from him. He's interrupted from his work by an angel of the Lord, who says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Gideon is very confused. They hadn't heard from God. Israel was suffering. It didn't seem like God was with them. But the Lord said to him, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of the hand of Midian. Am I not sending you? Gideon is very confused. They hadn't heard from God. Israel was suffering. It didn't seem like God was with them. But the Lord said, Oh, I read that twice. <laughs> and then Gideon replies, Pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. In other words, I am the weakest person in the weakest family in the weakest tribe of Israel. God is asking Gideon to believe that he is going to restore Israel to a state of wholeness and that he is going to use Gideon even though he thinks that he is the least qualified person to do it. God is showing shalom and he is going to use Gideon of all people to do it. See verse 16 
The Lord answered, I will be with you. You will strike down your enemies, leaving none alive. But Gideon needs some proof. He needs to know that it really is the God who has called him. And so he asks God for a sign. He's, he prepares an offering of a young goat and unleavened bread and lays them under a tree. The angel of the Lord touches the offering with his staff, and it is consumed by fire. And Gideon is not comforted in the least, because he still knows who he is. He is, he is to stand, he is the weakest person in Israel. He knows that he isn't worthy to stand before a holy God. He knows that he is deserving of death, but has something to learn about who God is, because the great, holy, powerful creator, God, God calls Gideon exactly as he is. He meets Gideon in grace and says, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. Gideon built an altar to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace, or the Lord is shalom. God gave Gideon peace with God. This is step one of the world of restoring wholeness to the world around us. Being in a state of wholeness with God, and like Gideon, we know that not a thing we do by ourselves. Not a thing we, um, we know that if our relationship is with God, with God, but. Like Gideon, God calls us into a relationship with him from exactly where we are. Paul picks up in Romans and says, Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace or, wonder, or shalom with God through the Lord Jesus. The wonderful story of salvation is that God wants me and you to have shalom with him, not because we deserve it, but because he is good. He is the God who makes things whole. But God's work with Gideon doesn't end here. In this passage, God has chosen Gideon to lead his people to Shalom, even though he thinks he is the weakest and least of anyone in Israel. Part of being in the right relationship with God is joining him in the work of restoring wholeness to the world around us. And that is exactly what God calls Gideon to do. He sets about the work that God work that God gives him to do, tearing down the places of worship to the gods of the Amorites, Baal and Asher, and replacing them with an altar to the one true God. But then there is more. Shortly after this, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other people from the east who all joined forces to come against Israel. It wasn't for no reason that the Israelites had been hiding in caves and wine presses. Here is where Gideon is really called to put his face into practice and join the work that God, that God is doing. The Spirit of God comes on Gideon and he summons together people from all around Israel to rise up against the armies of, Mid of the Midianites, but Gideon is still terrified. He has been made, made right with God. He experienced a taste of God's shalom, but he still knows who he is. He still thinks that he is the very weakest person 
in all of Israel. I think we've been here too. We know who God is, and we know that the world, that the work that God is doing, and we want to see healing in our broken world. world. But we don't feel very qualified to help. Surely there are others, better, cleverer, more powerful people out there who can do something. But God couldn't possibly use us. So Gideon again asks for a sign. He says in verse 36, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you promised, look, I will place wool of fleece on a threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and not on the ground, and it, it says, I will place all fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand. And that's exactly what happened the next morning to the ground. It was not dry, but the fleece was soaked. The, that was so soaked that Gideon was able to squeeze a bowlful of water out. God wanted Gideon specifically to join the work that he was doing, and there was nothing subtle about it. I think we can relate to Gideon here, too. We know that there is work to be done, and we know that God calls each, each of us to do it, but we still wait. Maybe if someone asks us specifically, maybe if no one is available, maybe if it, the need is still there in a week or a month, then you can know it, you can really be useful. Gideon looks at his bowl full of water, and he still needs something more. He says to God in verse 39, Do not be angry with me. Let me make one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time the fleece dry and let the ground be covered in dew. And that's exactly what happened in the morning. The fleece was dry and the ground was covered in dew. And so Gideon joins God's team and he and his 32,000 men head off to face the Midianites. And here we see the encouraging news and the scary knowledge that God wants us specifically to join in the work that he is doing. God chose Gideon and God sent Gideon, but Gideon and his army aren't really going to be the ones fighting the battle. God is going to be the one fighting for them. So even before they get far from home, God says, You have too many men. I cannot save Israel and deliver the Midianites into your hands, or Israel would boast against me and say, My own strength has saved me. Now announce to your army, Anyone who trembles with fear can turn back now and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. 22,000, more than two-thirds of Gideon's army, left, and God said, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will send them out there. So Gideon took his men to get a drink, and God had him set them into two groups, those who cupped the water into their hands, and lapped it up, and those who put out their faces down 
to the water to drink. Only three hundred men in the first group. And God said, With the three hundred men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. Only three hundred men. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and the eastern people, uh, whose armies are too big to count, what could they possibly do? Why even bother trying? Why not go back into the mountains and wait for someone, some other stronger, better leader? The job was just too big, and Gideon thought he was just too small. How could God possibly use Gideon to help? How can God possibly use us to help when the job is so big? And we know, so and we are so small, but still Gideon goes. He and his 300 men go, go and surround the edge of the Midianite camp with trumpets and jars and torches. They wait until the middle of the night, and just after the Midianites' armies had changed the guard, Gideon and his three hundred men blew the trumpets and smashed the jars and held up the torches and shouted. They heard God's call on their life, and they obeyed. They showed up, and then God did the rest. He caused the Midianites throughout the camp to be so confused and turn on each other with the thirds. And Gideon and his army of three hundred men won an overwhelming victory. The great part of the story of Gideon is that the salvation and the restoration that came to the people of Israel really had nothing to do with them. God was always going to bring his people to the state of Shalom, because that's what God does. That's the state of Shalom, because that Gideon was weak or that his army was small. The only thing required to join in God in the work that he that he was doing in the world around him is to know him, to offer him whatever strengths we have, and then watch him through our weakness to bring wholeness to the world around us. Let's come back to my journey. That whole time I was talking, it wasn't able to fix itself. Or repair itself. I can't repair the plate, the jar, either. No matter what I do, and no matter how hard I try, and no matter how talented I am, I will never be able to make this plate, jar, look like it had never been broken. I might spend a lot of energy to glue the pieces and make it into something functional or even something beautiful and impressive, but I can never make it whole. The same is true of the brokenness in the world around us. The same way we do not have the power to put ourselves back together from being broken by sin. We are not able to fix the brokenness of the world around us. But there is someone who can. In Isaiah 9.6, Jesus is being prophesied and is being called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, or Prince of Shalom, and he is the only one who can save. Again, in Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
but the gift of God is eternal life. We can be made whole and fixed and repaired by God. Our brokenness can be repaired because God, through the person of the work of Jesus, has made right with God. We know already that he is able to make broken things whole like Gideon. We have seen what his shalom is like, but God wants more than for us to just experience experience it. He calls all of us to join him in bringing wholeness to the world around us. When we feel weak, like the 300 men against the forces of the Midianites, we can trust that God will work through our weakness so that the others can see what happens to give glory to God as we step in face to act and to help in the opportunities that God presents us with. He will use us exactly as we are in his ongoing work of restoring shalom to the world around us.